<laughs> There's a whole stock monkey culture connected to all this. I believe that Einstein was a lazy procrastinator like me. Yeah, but can you guys tell me what this has to do with um, web design? Welcome to the very first episode of Einstein and Sock Monkey, the podcast for web geeks and website owners. My name is Steve Martin. I'm one of your hosts, and I am a user experience designer. My company is CleverCubed. You can find my blog and info, info about me at clevercubed.com. And my name is Ron Zazadinsky, and I'm the owner of CodeGeek.net, which is a website design company in Fort Collins, Colorado. We do design, development, specializing in Expression Engine and WordPress. We also do Joomla and Drupal. And I'm your other host. So Ron, let's get this show on the road. So we've got a few news items to share with you. And uh, the first one is the announcement that Google Wave was canceled. So this was a pretty interesting announcement uh, in my mind. I never actually used Google Wave. How about you, you Steve? Well, yeah, I, I used it, I think, for about 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things that I, it's like everybody, there's so much hype around it. I just never got around to understanding why the hype was there. Um, it sounded pretty interesting, and it sounded like it was yeah. supposed to be this collaborative tool where you could do collaborative document generation, which you could already do on Google Docs. So that's right. one of the reasons I never tried it was I already we use Google Docs within the company all the time because some of us are in the office, but we also have part of the team is distributed, and so that's been a very effective way for us to work together for well, a long time. And to kind of go along with that, I just noticed about ten minutes ago I was working on a Google Doc. And it, there's a new, there's a little link at the top that says new version, and you click on that, and it's like now real time collaboration. <laughs> so I wonder how much of this stuff they're going to pour over into Google Docs well, instead. Well, they did say that some of the technology is being a open sourced, which is interesting, mm -hmm. and some of it's going to be repurposed into other segments okay. of the Google Apps universe, which also makes sense. So, so it looks like we are part of the uh, the demographic because officially it was canceled due to lack of interest. And clearly, <laughs> <laughs> you had ten minutes of interest and I had none. So. Yeah. Well, it was also one of the problems that not a, if it was maybe useful if people were using it, but there weren't enough people using it. Right. To, Make it worth my time. For me, Twitter is just fantastic for the real time talking. Yeah. And anyway, so interesting that that was canceled. And uh, I guess we won't really know then what that experience was like. So too bad for us. Yeah. <laughs> And um, something I came across this week, I was reading uh, uxbooth.com. Rebecca Flavin, if, if I'm hoping I pronounce her name right, she wrote a blog post called User Experience in the Platform War. And it actually reminded me a little bit of this Google Wave thing because she's talking a lot about how there's this big battle between Adobe and Apple, you know, with mm -hmm. Flash and the iPad and the iPhone and all that kind of thing. And her point was, as user experience designers... We need to not get caught up in their battle because it's not our battle. True. And web designers as well, not just UX designers. And one quote from her article, she says, The true battle is to reach out to your customers wherever they may be. Mm -hmm. Figure out how users want to access services and then provide the tools and experiences that enable them to do that. And that the point is not about the technology because UX is never about the technology, but kind of trying to be... I guess platform technology agnostic, um, and 
remembering that removing Flash from your website does not make it a mobile site. (laughs) That's for sure. And I think we'll be talking about that in future podcasts because I'm pretty interested in that topic. But I thought that was was a really good article. It's over at uxbooth.com. So uh, make sure to give that a read. Very cool. Um, The next item I have is uh, just learned today uh, from... A company here in Fort Collins called Social Media Pilots, of which I'm a part, but one of our pilots reported today that uh, Twitter has just released a how to use Twitter for business guide. Mm. So it actually looks a little scary in that they're calling it (laughs) uh, Twitter 101, and the intro page is what is Twitter. Then it goes on to getting started. So I have not read through this because literally uh, Steve told me about this. The other Steve, Steve Zazina, told me about this right as I was walking yeah. in to do our recording. But I, uh, I will check this out. But uh, the basics look very basic. The other sections are learn the lingo, best practices. That could be useful perhaps. Yeah. Uh, case studies. That looks interesting because they highlight quite a few companies um, like the U.S. Geological Survey, North Face, Dell, JetBlue, Best Buy, uh, a bunch of other ones in here. So case studies could be interesting, and then they have some other resources. So uh, if you're interested in seeing what Twitter has to say about using Twitter for business, check out business.twitter.com, and uh, you'll find it there. Um, the last thing I had for today was uh, I'm, I'm, I'm big on usability testing, and one of the blogs I follow re- regularly is remoteusability.com, and it's kind of tied to a book that Nate Bolt and uh, wrote called um, Remote Research, I believe is the name of the book, by published by Rosenfeld Media. And uh, he, uh, he published on his blog, and it's a super helpful post. It's essentially a script for um, moderate. It's a moderator script that goes along nicely with his book for doing remote reusability sessions. And he's not talking about using something like... Um, usertesting.com or something like that where you just upload some questions and people go to it without you. This is, He specifically is talking about using GoToMeeting uh-huh. to do usability sessions, which I've not d- I've not actually done that before. I think it would be really interesting because hmm. sometimes your demographics just n- are not around. Right. Um, if, if you're working on a site for someone in Europe, for example, and your your target demographic is... I don't know, just out of the out of the blue, could be something like Americans living in France. Sure, sure. <laughs> You've got to do u- not remote local. usability <laughs> sessions for that, and it really is. There's a lot of drawbacks to doing just remote testing without actually being able to moderate it, without actually being able to follow. So up that lets questions. you interact with them by yeah. using GoToMeeting, and yeah, of course and it's, you it's can a really transfer control to their screen, so they're the presenter, and exactly. you can then watch what they're doing. Right. Yeah, and so it just shows you their screen and their voice, and you can record the whole thing for your team later. Um, but it's really it's a it's a step by step thing like Except not on the Mac. GoToMeeting doesn't record on Macs, just on PCs. Oh, FYI, really? mm-hmm. it doesn't work on a Mac. GoToMeeting works, but the, you can't record on a Mac using oh, GoToMeeting. Really? Yep. I had no idea. That's really <laughs> there's just good few, to know. <laughs> yeah, there's just a few little differences. So uh, if you're using a Mac, you might need to borrow a PC or be running VMware Fusion. And well, unless well, there's PC a lot of other options out there too. There are. There's a lot of them. I know. Screen I've sharing. used Adobe's. Um, Connect, is it? Connect Now. Uh-huh. I've used that not for testing, but just for meetings. I've never had to actually... I think if you get their premium set, uh, premium plan, you can record it. I'm not... Don't quote me on that one, but... Anyway, it's the, the script he has on there is super detailed. Like, 
this will take 30 minutes, have them turn on this. There will be a red button, click there, (laughs) stuff like that. So definitely go to remoteusability.com. Gotcha. Okay, so that's the news. And our next section is our feature slash interview section. So our general plan is to alternate each podcast with either a feature item that we're presenting as original content or an interview of someone that we have uh, met at a web conference or that we brought into the studio. And this week, for our first episode, we are um, lucky to have an interview with Whitney Hess. So she's a user experience designer out of New York City. And I met her at an event apart, actually in Boston last year, 2009. And I just went to an event apart in um, Minneapolis at the end of July, which is a fantastic uh, web design and development conference. And if you haven't been, I highly recommend it. Uh, There are two left this year, one in San Diego and one in Washington, D.C. The one in San Diego still has tickets, so go to uh, aneventapart.com if you're interested. So the... um, it's a two-day conference, the one in Minneapolis was, and the lineup of speakers is great. Everybody's in one room, which I really like. You don't have a choice, but the, uh, the strength is that the speakers they have are just excellent speakers, and the topics are right at the edge of what's going on in the web design and web development world today. So if you want to stay on the leading edge of things, it's a, a great conference to go to. And I'm already looking forward to going again. So Whitney gave a talk entitled uh, DIY UX, meaning, do, of course, do-it-yourself UX, give your users an upgrade. And uh, she shared a lot of things that you can do, even if you're not a trained user experience designer like Steve is. You can. Uh, there's still a lot you can do to improve your clients' websites. And more than that, of course, user experience is about far more than a website. It's about the experience that that company is providing to their clients across the board through all the platforms and interactions that they have with clients. Um, so Whitney was uh, gracious enough to let me interview her uh, after her talk, and here is the interview. Um, so I'm here with Whitney Hess from the NYC at an event apart in Minneapolis, and um, Whitney gave a talk this morning on user experience. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your just a couple sentences about you know uh, for the readers or listeners for what you do and. Okay. Well, I am a user experience designer in New York City. I'm an independent consultant, so I have my own company and I have a wide variety of clients. And the one-liner that I like to use for myself is I help make stuff easier and more pleasurable to use. Awesome. So a lot of people don't know what user experience is. Um, it's a relatively new field. It has its roots in some in. Uh, human factors and library science and a lot of industries that have been around for quite some time but even still it doesn't have a pretty big presence in the larger tech and business communities so that's kind of how I like to describe what so it is how, that we do. How would you describe the maturity of UX as a field these days? I and mean, like you pointed out there's other things that have come before like mm-hmm. user-centered design and human factors mm-hmm. and HCI and information architecture yep. but UX seems new so I kind of wonder like is it a fad or is it really something new or is it just a conglomeration of all those things together? I think it is that conglomeration that I think it is um, kind of an umbrella term that's starting to be used to describe information architecture and interaction design and usability and in many ways accessibility and um, content strategy even and there's really a whole slew of different practices that involve putting the user at the center of the process 
and they have different purposes. So usability is, as it sounds, to make things easier to use or possible to use in the first place for things that aren't. Interaction design in many ways is um, innovating the ways in which people interact with the system itself. So it's more at the design level. Information architecture is at the organization of information level. So it isn't necessarily about the components that the user is using to interact with the system or the flow even. It's often just about um, coming up with the right organization of information, understanding what people are looking for and how to chunk it together in a way that it's easy to find and easy to understand. I like your description of the user being at the center of everything. Yeah. That seems to be the common thread through Absolutely. the terms that you were just talking about there. Yeah, and so user experience as a term, I mean, I started hearing it maybe 2003, 2004, okay. but it hasn't become really popularized, I think, until like the past couple of years. And at the IA Summit in... Memphis in 2009, so last year's, Jesse James Garrett, who's one of the founders of yeah, Adaptive, Adaptive Path, Path yep. he actually gave the closing plenary and basically his mandate of sorts was that everybody start calling themselves a user experience designer Interesting. as opposed to an information architect or an interaction designer because that that's just really small pieces of the practice and user experience it's overall the broader is broader term. term. That includes all those. Yeah. That's interesting to hear him say that. Yes. Isn't his book like the elements of user experience? It is, which mm. he wrote many years ago. Right. Um, you know, uh, some people took issue with that because they are specialists and they do, they do consider themselves to be practitioners within a specific piece of that larger puzzle. Um, I like the term user experience because I don't consider myself a specialist. I come okay. into a company and I do whatever techniques I need in order to help solve their problems. Gotcha. So um, I like that term. But then there are those that are even interested in a broader term. They don't like user mm. experience mm. because Perhaps it isn't just about users. Maybe it's about the internal staff that you're trying to optimize for. Perhaps it's, um, you know, the customer at a, on a broader sense. And so then when you start talking about customer experience, it's the way that aisles are organized in the right. store, what products are on the shelves and where they're put, all of the systems within a store that a user can interact with. So it can get pretty broad. It can go offline very really quickly. quickly. Yeah, I was, at, I was at UX Week two years ago out in San Francisco, Adaptive Paths Conference, mm -hmm. and Don Norman was uh, the, the headlining speaker. And he's, he was saying that he didn't even like the word user, because yes. user has weird connotations, like yes. drug users, right? Exactly. It's like, <laughs> he said, who's using these products? It's people, right. All right? So how about we call it but he didn't have, a, if he had an alternative word, I don't remember what it was. But yeah. you know, he said, why don't we talk about designing things for people, which yeah. kind of makes sense. But but UX is a nice two-letter code. Exactly. Certainly, we're starting to get a feel now for what yeah. that means. Yeah. It seems to me that the term is maturing. Like, you hear it more frequently and more people, you know, just asking uh, meeting attendees here and asking them what they do. A couple of people have said they're user experience designers. It's and so I thought wonderful that was to see. really interesting. You know, I, for a very long time, um, had no involvement in this community. I 
worked at a company that had other interaction designers, and I knew that there must be other people out there, but I kind of wasn't even aware that such a community existed, and I felt so marginalized at work. Mm. No one really wanted to listen to what any of us had to say. We were very early in the process, and we weren't really integrating what we were doing with the rest of the team of visual designers and copywriters and developers. You kind of your own slice of things totally. and it wasn't integrating with... Absolutely. Mm. And that really was difficult because it felt like we weren't being heard a lot. And then I started to explore the conferences and started to go out and I found there were all these other people who were feeling the same thing. Mm. And at some point in the past year and a half, I feel like the tone has really changed from a woe is me, um, we, why, we're the ones who know how to make black people's lives better and no one will listen to us, no one knows what it is that we do. We have to explain what we do to everybody and this is so, so <laughs> Some tough. Some obscure field. Exactly. And it's starting to change. I'm noticing that people have heard the term user experience they don't necessarily need a definition for what it is. There might be some misconceptions about what to, to what extent we can play a role, mm -hmm. but um, I'm really starting to feel like it's catching on. And especially working in New York, I'm fortunate to be really involved in the tech scene mm -hmm. in New York, which is kind of having a resurgence after the dot-com bust in the early 2000s. And now I have people coming to me because their VCs told them that in order to get additional funding, they're really going to have to reconsider their user experience. How about that? And that, That's it, to a me, sign of the yeah, maturing of the field. Absolutely. And still very new. And of course, startups and venture capitalists are going, I think, to be on the earlier end of things, sure. but eventually that knowledge is going to sink into the C-level at major companies, and I just I feel like CTO, COO, CXO, or something like that is going to be just as prevalent. Are there any CXOs out there yet? There are some. Really? Um, the Cleveland Clinic, which is a major hospital, actually does have a chief experience officer wow. that really looks at how the patient is treated from a non-medical standpoint, every non-medical way, so, and not just the patient, but the family. It's really fascinating stuff. That is. Yeah, and so there are some out there. Um, in many companies, they're referred to as like a CPO, Chief Product Officer. Mm -hmm. um, I work with some companies that have those, and they do have a focus on user experience, but they're not really practitioners. They're not, they aren't necessarily people who've once drawn wireframes, so they have a different perspective on the process, probably. But um, I do, I can't imagine a world in which a CXO or something like it is is pretty common because I think that as the world of technology becomes more and more competitive, people are starting to realize that they have to give people what they want and what mm -hmm. they need in order to get any piece of the pie. And well, and it seems to me it. to be the leading edge of where just design and web development is going in general. I mean, all, all the talks today at an event apart have already mentioned something about the user and designing things for yeah. the user with the user as the focus. Yeah. And so 
it seems like, uh, you know, I think that's been the trend for the last few years, but we're there as far as that yeah. goes. So it's neat to see that UX is really maturing into a recognizable field. It's very exciting so for me. So <laughs> someone who's interested in getting started in UX, what are some, uh, I know there's a few conferences in the field, yeah. what are some of the things you'd recommend for people to check out? Well, definitely self-education is possible. I get emails all the time from people that say, oh, I see that you have a Because you have a background in HCI, yeah. right? Human-computer interaction. Exactly. But you so don't have to have that you necessarily. You do not. And honestly, 99% of the people practicing in user experience today don't have a formal education. And I'm an outlier. Right. So there are people that have, you know, maybe undergraduate degrees in psychology that mm -hmm. got them interested in it. There are people that come from tech writing, that come from industrial design that come from business analysis, sure. that come from development, everything. So if someone from any of those were interested in learning more, where would you... I would recommend first just reading up. There are so many great books. New Rider slash Peach Pit publishes a ton of great books. O'Reilly, Morgan Kaufman. There's, uh, and then Lou Rosenfeld is one of the guys who wrote the book on information architecture quite literally. Oh, and is he part of Rosenfeld Media or he different? He is okay. Rosenfeld Media. Okay. And he, his, uh, Rosenfeld Media is a publishing company that is just user experience books. And they're only available for purchase online. You won't find right. them in, an, in a Barnes & Noble bookstore anywhere. Right. But um, they're written by people like Luke Rabluski, who just presented, and, um, and Nate Bolt. The remote research book that I referenced in my presentation is a Rosenfeld Media book. There's a lot of great books there. Awesome. So blogs, there are pretty much every user experience designer practicing is on Twitter. So you follow us and see what we're linking to. And then the conferences are great for people that have the budget. The IA Summit, which is coming to um, Denver in 2011, and the Interaction Design Association's Interaction Conference is coming to Boulder in 2011. So yeah, both we're are going to be there. Yeah, we're excited about that. Being Colorado-based, uh, yeah. I'm excited to have both of those in our backyard next year. Absolutely, and those are go going to be great opportunities for people who are just getting into the field to learn more. It is not a an intimidating environment at all, either mm -hmm. one of them. Cool. Very different vibes and focuses, but um, I love going to both to get kind of both sides of the coin of all that stuff and both of them are very welcoming of new people and that's something that you'll find in the user experience community in general is what I experienced when I decided that I wanted to start it's getting involved inclusive. very inclusive and I think particularly because we're people with a lot of empathy you have to have a lot of it to be to good do at this what job. you do you have to understand other people yes and so that really translates in the way that people carry themselves mm. and the way, uh, the friendliness just of the environment, I must. Now, there's always going to be some exceptions. Sure, there's always a few uh, <laughs> super uber geeks out there, right, who may not have uh, interaction skills. Or, or people who perhaps um, feel that they have something to lose with sure. the popularization of sure. this field. Well, that's an interesting question. So in the web design world, I feel that there is so much business out there that our approach is to collaborate with others, that there's more work than any of us could ever get to. Yeah. So let's just work together rather than compete. Absolutely. Do you feel UX is generally similar or is there more competition in the UX world? Despite us there being fewer of us, I really do think it is a collaborative environment and not a competitive one. I see so many people user, uh, people that are in user experience collaborating on projects together that subcontract for one another. Mm -hmm. um, I get 
people coming to me and either I can't handle the project or it's something that's of less interest to me. I'm always passing stuff on to other people who are ultimately taking the buck away from me, you know, but there's, that's a value to me because the more of us that I think the world can see, the more they're going to have to take notice that this is not just a small niche or a fad and is going away, that this is a real practice that's forming into a mature profession. Um, You know, of course, in any profession, you're going to find people who are highly competitive or like to be secretive or closed about their work. But for the most part, I've found people to be outrageously helpful. There are people who are sh- who share their deliverables all the time. Wow! Just as a way to s- show, well, how are you set up setting up your document, or right. what kind of what wording are you using to express that idea, or what it, what kind of um, layout did you choose for that? I want to kind of get inspiration. You don't see plagiarism. You just see a ton of sharing. There are websites where people post their documents. I have a group of friends in New York that I meet up with once a week for what we call UX therapy, (laughs) where we just sit together and we tell each other what we're going through with our projects. And we don't necessarily do design crits, but we um, are just an ear for the other person to vent and talk about whatever client isn't really... Part of that collaborative approach, too, Very much. And we have a shared Dropbox folder where we just throw out a bunch of, like, document samples and things mm-hmm. that we use or we look at each well, other's and work. I know you've been very open with how you do your job I, I th- are you still doing the wood hour um, I am okay and just I started know, up again okay so you had taken a little break from that yeah because I was doing it on tiny chat and um they started locking me out of my account. They were having uh, a lot of technical difficulties. So who are you with now with that? Now using Justin TV. Okay, yeah, I've heard of so, that. Um, so, so far so good. So right now it's every Monday night from 10 to 11 p.m. Eastern time. Okay, and where would people find that online? Um, Justin.tv slash Whitney Hess. And so I've just, I have nothing planned every week. Mm-hmm. It's a little daunting to just go into the room and not know what's going <laughs> to happen. It's user questions, right? Listener yeah. questions that are, exactly. but people can ask you how you do your job, anything, anything about your job. And anything about user experience or consulting or whatever they okay. ask, I'm happy so to answer it. the business of it as well as the practice of it. Very much the business of it. That's one of the things that I enjoy talking about the most. Oh, wonderful. Why be secretive? There's no reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all benefit when we discuss how we conduct business and I learn every time someone asks me a question and it forces me to really think through why I do things the way I do. Essentially, it's my video feed and then there's a text-based chat right next to it. And so people can type in their questions and they give responses and whatnot. Um, you know, sometimes I do multi-way video chats. You can see lots of different people's videos. Oh, that's fun. It is fun, but the video latency is pretty bad right now. So it can be. But um, yeah, so I like to be in conversation with people that especially as an independent professional now I don't have a team around me all the time for inspiration right so I like so that's to some be of the inspiration open. for you absolutely so where else can people find you online if they're looking for your blog or your okay. info or whatever that you want to share definitely <laughs> is very easy to access me on twitter at Whitney Hess and WhitneyHess.com is my website and blog where I post fairly frequently. Cool. But very easy to find me online. <laughs> okay, very good. So I have a couple of random questions here for you, oh, too. Oh, please, random. So um, based on the name of our new podcast, which I don't know if I shared with you, which is Einstein and Sock Monkey. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> exactly. It's just this random thing. Okay. So... Um, 
have which would you say has influenced you more, Einstein or sock monkeys, and why? Oh my! <laughs> I'm gonna say Einstein. Not that I really know that much about Einstein, but one of my favorite sayings is, "I like to work smart, not hard." Mm-hmm. And. I believe that Einstein was probably a lazy procrastinator like me <laughs> who was determined to come up with ways to simplify his life, and that's why he invented so many things. So I'm going to say Einstein. Very good. like the answer. <laughs> that's awesome. And here's a much easier one. Okay. So the word website, is it one word or two words? Oh, I always make it one, and I do get you? in trouble for or it. Do you? I make it one. Um, I believe that it's supposed to have a capital W, but mm. in it's become such a popular part of like the colloquialisms it that is. I just think I don't like to capital overcapitalize words right. because it's a distraction. And I, I prefer words that are one instead of two. Two, okay. That's just my writing style. Very interesting. Yeah, I've been asking <laughs> a few people, and I'm just curious, you know, on the whole web community, yeah. how people think of that word, and how is it evolving, and so. I usually, when I'm writing a longer piece, like, even if it's a blog post, I start off by saying website, and then everywhere else I call it a site. Okay. That's also That's interesting. just me. Yeah, yeah. All these things are evolving. I mean, our field really mm-hmm. is so, even the whole web, right? I mean, uh, just in Jeffrey Zeldman's talk, he was talking about you know when Tim Berners-Lee wrote the first paper describing yep. the internet in 1990, and yep. that was only 20 years ago this it's, year. We are at the beginning of something that hopefully will be around for a really really long time. I and it's evolving agree. so fast. It's you know it's mutating, right? Rapidly. And that's why I think it's so important for everyone to be an active contributor. I really do believe that no matter where you are in your career or how much of an introvert you are, I'm very young and I do consider myself to be really an introvert. Most people don't know that about me because I push myself. You wouldn't see it because you're out there a lot. I push myself super hard because of this one thing. We are at the beginning of something that's going to change the world forever. It already Mm -hmm. has, but if you can just think it's only been 20-some years, imagine what it's going to be like 100 years from now. Yeah, impossible. And each one of us has the opportunity to help shape it. And so I think it's crucial that you get involved. If this is the profession that you love so much that you've made it your career, then you have an opinion on something, even if it's small, and you should be sharing that opinion. And that is going to add to the greater body of knowledge, which is going to shape this whole system. I think it's essential that people put themselves out there and help other people that don't know the one thing that they know you don't have to be a genius i certainly am not absolutely i love that vision that you just painted there that's great so last question really is is for you which is um what are your needs is there anything that you're trying to either get the word out about about um you know assistance you need or just awareness you're trying to get for something going on or something you're looking for that who knows someone one listener might be able to That's a great question. Well, something that I'm struggling with right now is that I'm completely independent and I enjoy that. But at the same time, I've gotten to a point where there are a bunch of people that are interested in having me work with them, which is wonderful and very flattering, but I can't do it all myself. Now, I don't don't think I'm ready to hire somebody. Mm -hmm. I'm certainly not in a position to pay a full-time salary, and I... I've been playing around with the concept of this collective. There's a great book called Noted, N-O-D-E-D, 
which is available on lulu.com. Okay. Which talks about, I think, a concept that you're very familiar with, this independent professionals, but a collective right. of them, and so you pull the appropriate people on each project yep, as needed. Yeah, that's largely how we do our business, actually. And I have been struggling with the idea of how to um, continue to attract the clients that want to work with me specifically, but farm out work to others, and then are they're producing under my name in a way because right. I promote it's your my company, name, really, not yeah. my business name in many ways. I, right. I don't. That's a private entity that I just use. Right. You for are your business. brand, really. exactly. Yeah. So, for anyone out there that has ideas or examples of how this works, where you are potentially the the project lead and the one that the client has has reached out to and has expressed interest in working with, but wants to bring other people onto a project in order to be more effective or to be able to take on more work. A larger project or exactly right, whether it be a large, or larger scale. Exactly both. Um, you know, I'm really curious to find out more. I've been talking to a lot of people, trying to figure out how I can learn to trust somebody else to get the work done well sure. and just find the right people with complementary skills and whatnot in order to grow. Awesome. Well, if you have any thoughts there for Whitney, go to her blog yeah. and uh, leave a comment somewhere. Absolutely. That might be a good way to do it. Or find me on Twitter at Whitney Hess. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Whitney. Appreciate your time. Thank and, uh, you. Thanks you have for a, having me. Now that your talk is over, I hope you can really enjoy the rest of uh, an event That's apart. the plan. <laughs> I'm so glad I went early. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thanks, thanks. Whitney. Bye. Cool. So that was our interview with Whitney. Yeah, that was it. Was really it was great of her to sit down with you and talk about. It. She had a lot of great stuff to say for sure. Definitely. Well, we're interested in your feedback, so if you are the one person out there listening to this podcast, <laughs> come to our website and uh, give us a comment about what you thought about that interview with Whitney. Uh, we would love your feedback because we want to get better at this as we go along. We've got a lot to learn. This is just our first episode, so pour it on. I, I specifically liked what she said about how a user experience designer, she, as, as, she, as a user experience designer, she makes things easier and more pleasurable to use because it's really hard to describe. It's the whole UX idea is kind of nebulous. And mm-hmm. It's hard to nail down, but mm-hmm. that, that does a really good job of explaining that. So. That does. That's a that's a great phrase. So is that going to be your new uh, tagline for Clever Cube? I, I was thinking about it, but I don't want to rip her off. Wholesale, <laughs> so I'll, I'll have to check the, the source for some other words for that. So if you, uh, if you want to uh, learn more about Whitney, you can find her online at WhitneyHess.com and on Twitter, at Whitney Hess. And she also does a regular, well, regular at the moment, um, her Wit Hour, which you can tune into and uh, participate and ask her questions. And she's, she's a very forthcoming. She, she loves to share about the UX craft. So she's happy to talk about deliverables, how you do things, how she does things, and give advice. And um, Anyway, they're very informative sessions, and you should check those out. And I should mention that in the interview, she mentioned that there was a Justin TV, but it's been changed. She moved it over to livestream.com slash wit hour. It's W-H-I-T hour. And um, I, I participated in it last week, and it was really... Super helpful. There are lots of folks on there asking really good questions. So, Awesome. 
So you want to talk a little bit about the book club, Ron? Yeah, I do. So our next segment is the book club, and this is not going to be every session. It's going to be occasionally, roughly once a month-ish or something. And the idea is um, to have a discussion about a book uh, relative to the web design or user experience world. The idea is that we'll announce the book ahead of time. So the, the book first book we're going to review or discuss is HTML5 for Designers by Jeremy Keith. And our hope is that you'll go out and obtain a copy of the book and read it, or borrow a copy or whatever, and read the book and post questions and comments about it as you're reading it on our website. And then what we'll do is on the day when we're discussing it, uh, we'll have, of course, Steve and myself here, and then we'll also choose one listener from based on the questions that you are uh, and comments posted on the website to participate via Skype uh, during the podcast. And then when possible, we're going to try to have the author of the book on the podcast as well. So we'll see how we do there. But uh, And then the idea is that we would discuss the book and um, you know ask questions and get some answers because you know every book just raises more questions. So uh, hopefully that will prove to be educational for ourselves and uh, and hopefully for our listeners as well. Yeah, and so we'll have a, <clears throat> a book club section on the website with each of the books and just uh, go on and leave comments like Ron mentioned. And that that first discussion will be on September 28th podcast. So there'll be a few, a few episodes out. Give people plenty of time to, to read that. Exactly. Have you, have you read it? Yeah. I have. Yes, I have. It's, um, so let me tell you, I'll talk about where you can get it, too. It's a great book. It's, it's uh, extremely well written. Uh, for those of you that don't know Jeremy Keith, I don't know him, but I have seen him speak a couple times. And he is a great storyteller, and this book is no exception. Um, his opening line here on the website is, The HTML5 spec is 900 pages and hard to read. HTML5 for web designers is 85 pages, and my <laughs> Google Calendar just popped up an alert, so I lost my web page. <laughs> uh, yes, HTML5 for web designers is 85 <laughs> pages and fun to read. Easy choice. So it's a very quick read. Um, excellent book. So you can find it at online at books.elistapart.com, and we'll post that link in our show notes. Uh, it's $18 plus shipping through um, the Alista Part um, franchise, if you will. Right. It's available other places too, but you know, if you get it from there, then I think a larger portion of the dollars goes to the cause. And um, you'll be hearing more about that whole series uh, as time goes on. One other thing that we'll be doing uh, on a regular basis for every podcast, hopefully, is uh, have a listener question of the week. And I know both of us get a lot of questions from people all the time just on our day-to-day -day life about web stuff and, and usability and all that kind of thing. And so we're going to just take one of those um, questions per week and answer it here on the podcast. So if you have any questions, send them to ask at EinsteinAndSockMonkey.com. And a simple email is fine, but if you, you want to go... Uh, and record, the extra mile. <laughs> the extra mile. And record an audio comment that it would be even better than we can put you uh, in the podcast. And once again, that's ask, A-S-K, at EinsteinAndSockMonkey.com. Well, since social media is becoming an ever more important piece of life on the web, whether you are a web geek or a website owner, Every episode of Einstein and Sock Monkey, we're going to have a segment called the Social Media Minute. Literally 60 seconds of a tip or advice on how to uh, incorporate social media on your site or in your life. Um, we have recruited 
one of the best guys for this, Nick Armstrong, a good buddy of ours. He knows the ins and outs of social media as well as the geeky side of things, which is perfect for us. So sometimes you'll have to put your geek hats on for this, sometimes not. But it's always going to be a helpful tip for anyone. So let's hear what Nick has to say for today. Thanks, Steve. My name is Nick Armstrong, and this is the Social Media Minute. In under 60 seconds, we'll show you how to do something really cool with social media on your website. Today, we're going to talk about adding a real-time Twitter search to your site. It helps out with keyword density, which is good for SEO, and it makes you look connected even if you're really not. Start by going to search.twitter.com. You can enter keywords here like you would a Google search. You can put a minus sign in front of words that you want to exclude, and you can use the operators and or or, or you can put quotes around a word or phrase that you want to match exactly. If you get the phrase that you want and the results that you want, in the upper right-hand corner there's an RSS feed link that you can right-click on and then paste into the WordPress RSS widget. Of course, if you're not using WordPress, then all you need to do is create a Twitter account and log in. And if you haven't created a Twitter account yet, what are you waiting for? Log in, scroll all the way to the bottom and click on Goodies, and then click on Widgets. Click on My Website and you can pick a few different widgets. Search is great for real-time results if you're not worried about the Skittles Twitter porn effect. Google it. Faves is great if you just want tweets that you approve. Lists are also great if you want tweets from specific people that you know and trust. Check out my website at IamNickArmstrong.com to see an application of today's Social Media Minute. I'm Nick Armstrong, and this has been your Social Media Minute. Back to you, Steve. Awesome, Nick. Thanks so much. So Steve and I are fond of conferences, of web design, web development, and user experience conferences. So our plan is on the website, we will have um, a calendar of conferences, both national and international, on these uh, core topics. So if you have conferences that you love to go to, please do tell us about tell us about them so we can post them on the calendar. And we have a couple of things to talk about right now. So earlier in this podcast, I mentioned um, an event apart. There are two sessions left this year. The, uh, the last one that has tickets available is San Diego, which is in November 1 and 2. So highly recommend that. You can find them online at aneventapart.com. And again, that starts with A-N as in an event apart.com. And the other uh, exciting news is very recently, South by Southwest uh, just opened ticket sales for SXSW 2011. So the dates of South by Southwest are going to be March 11th through the 15th for the interactive conference, which is, of course, the part that deals with web design and all the topics that we are especially interested in. And their early bird special is open and interactive uh Passes for the whole five days are just four hundred and fifty dollars through September twenty fourth. Oh, not bad. That's a really that's less than a hundred bucks a day, which is yeah. way. That's an incredible price for a conference like that. Um, if you wait till the very end, it goes up to seven hundred and fifty dollars. So this is a big savings if you get it before September twenty fourth. So you got about a month left. So go for it. Cool. Hey, to close out, we're going to have our blog of the week. Um, I know both of us read tons of blogs, and I'm sure a lot of you folks do as well, uh, as far as design blogs, usability blogs, anything um, under the sun that has to do with web design and web uh, usability and UX and so forth. And so um, this week, the the blog I'd like to point you guys toward, if you aren't, aren't already reading it, is um, 52 Weeks of UX. And that's um, at 52weeksofux.com. And it's a blog written by Joshua Porter and Joshua Brewer, two Joshes. 
And um, both, uh, and Joshua Porter is an inter interface designer at Perform uh, Performable. And Joshua Brewer is the director of UX at socialcast.com. And each week, um, they both write a blog post. And we're on week 30 uh, right now as we're recording this. And um, so you've got plenty of, of stuff to read. And they really do a really good job of going over um, just the basics and some pretty in-depth stuff on uh, user experience, what it really means, and, and they even have a few guest bloggers uh, from time to time. So check that out. It's fi uh, 52weeksofux.com. So thanks for listening to the podcast um, on our first inaugural Einstein and Sock Monkey podcast. Um, and uh, once again, if you have any questions, make sure to visit the website. Mm -hmm. uh, a little bit about our publishing editorial calendar. We're planning to, as we get started for the first four episodes, um, publish them roughly every, well, exactly every two weeks. So we plan to release the podcasts on Fridays. So uh, if all has gone well, this will be released on August 20th, and you can look for the next one two weeks after that. Yeah, and for any regular updates or uh, other things, in the meantime, check our Twitter account. It's uh, EinsteinMonkey.com or something. <laughs> check our check our Twitter account. It's EinsteinMonkey uh, at Twitter, and um, let us know if you have any suggestions along the way. Excellent. So you want to tell us, Steve, where we can find you online if people want to uh, yes. interact with you? Um, find me at CleverCubed.com. That's once again that's CleverCubed with a D at the end. dot com. That's my uh, company website and my blog as well. And on Twitter, you are also... I'm at Twitter at, at CleverCubed. So easy to find. Yep. And uh, you can find me, Ron Zazadinsky, at on Twitter. I'm Ron underscore Z, or Z if you're across the pond. <laughs> and we have... Uh, um, and our website is codegeek.net. C-O-D-E-G-E-E-K.net. Cool. Awesome. How do we close it out? I have no idea. So <laughs> <laughs> then So until then keep learning and keep creating. Sound good? Einstein and Sock Monkey is sponsored by CodeGeek.net, a full service web design and development agency. And clevercubed.com, providing user experience design usability testing, and information architecture. And presented by Ron Zazadinsky and Steve Martin. Music provided by the band Black Lab. Find them at blacklabworld.com.